podcaster's note, this episode of Where to Begin with Jallo will feature heavy spoilers of the movie What Have You Done to Solange from 1972. If you've never seen this movie before or looking forward to take part in this episode of the podcast by submitting in a review, please press stop now. However, if you've seen the movie before or you want to continue listening beyond this point because you don't care about spoilers, just keep listening on. Don't see you weren't warned. Who is Solange? What happened to her? Nothing! What have you done to Solange? Well, she killed him the same way as the others. Have you any clues, Inspector? This is the third murder in three weeks. Is it true, sir, that Rosania is having an affair with Colonel Sickles? He just isn't a killer and far less a sex maniac. Those girls know what it's all about, for sure. Only 16 and surrounded by secret boyfriends, petty jealousies, orgies, and lesbian games. What have you done to Solange? about a priest one of elizabeth's ideas she kept having nightmares about the murder reliving it over and over again what have you done to solange I know nothing about Mr. Rosani's relations with the Seckles girl and the other two. Nobody has said there was a relationship with the other two girls. Right? Oh, it seems rather evident. I see. But you're not... What have you done to Solange? Welcome back to another episode of Where To Begin With. This is season number one, episode number nine. In our first season of Where To Begin With, we're looking at the genre known as the giallo. And we have been having a ton of fun carving a 
successfully interesting diverse list of gel cinema from the painfully obvious to the, shall I say, slightly more obscure as I have given you a list thus far, including this episode of Nine Movies and I'll be rounded out on the last episode next month, the 10th movie, giving you a 10 tiered list of movies to get you into Jallo and hopefully inspire you to continue the journey further. On the last episode, we looked at Deep Red from 1975 by the maestro Dario Argento, and we'll be getting to your reviews at the end of this episode. But on this one, we've picked a bizarre, fascinating, and at times head-scratching little master class in all the style, weird substance, and dare I say, intrigue that Giallo Cinema itself is known for as we look at 1972's What Have You Done to Solange? Now, this movie is directed by Massimo Delamano, who is a name that we haven't really touched upon when going through these movies thus far. You've heard me talk about Filci, you've heard me talk about Argento, Sergio Martino. You know, we've covered some of these names off Bava. Even tangentially, we've mentioned other names of other directors, whether it be Aldo Lado when we were looking at Short Night at Glass Dolls, or even uh, Papia Vato when we were looking at The House with Laughing Windows. But the one thing we haven't really kind of touched upon, there is a reason behind it, is the work of Massimo Delamano. Now, the reason for that is he didn't actually do much in the way of this particular genre. This movie itself is a kind of first entry in his spiritual trilogy, uh, known as the Schoolgirls in Peril or What Have They Done trilogy. The first one being What Have They Done to Solange. The next one he did was What Have They Done to Your Daughters, which came out kind of mid-70s and was less the giallo and more the kind of police procedural that was very fashionable at the time. He sadly died before the release of the third one, which was known as The Red Rings of Fear, which once again is not a giallo, it's kind of on that level of the kind of police procedural stuff, and is credited as a kind of co-screenwriter for the film, but, you know, he was geared up to do the, the actual production on, but never actually did it. Now, interesting about this one and a bit of factoids that you can find if you look online, although nothing has been updated in the best part of almost five years, uh, Nicholas Winden Refn, the very famous kind of art house uh, and all lover of things Italian cinema director, uh, is trying to get this one remade uh, through his production company and... Uh, you know, there was a bit of buzz for it for a while and then it disappeared because this is a movie that's undergone somewhat of a kind of renaissance in recent minds. Um, what you have here is essentially your kind of classic setup of I am going to, uh, you know, I have a character here that will witness the murder. In the case of this one, is a teacher who uh, sees a, a girl being stabbed in some woods and he can't go to the police. The reason he can't go to the police is he's actually having an affair on his boat when he sees this and the affair is with one of his pupils. So he can't mention anything about it. What's interesting is the victims uh, in this movie are students. So, you know, it's all kind of leading up to this uh, you know, investigation of could he be pulled in to the investigation if he inserts himself in it? You know, what's going to happen moving forward? 
Of course, because he can't give his alibi, um, it makes him an interesting target for the police in the investigation. But his, you know, mistress, if we can call her that, I suppose we should, uh, the, the, the girl that he's having an affair with, she's later murdered. And he has to come clean uh, that he's been having an affair and is later kind of stricken off the list of suspects due to some information that comes out um, that there is a common through line with the murders here and that all the girls had recently seen a local priest, but in particular were all kind of very friendly with this girl called Solange, who had mysteriously vanished the previous semester in the school without rhyme or reason. Much like the short night at the glass dolls, the further the investigation goes down by our would-be professor here, um, the more he starts to uncover like a almost secret, it's not even a cult, but it's like a cabal of um, naughty schoolgirls uh, who are led by this priest who is actually not a priest at all. The big reveal in this movie is that he also is a professor at the school and happens to be the father of Solange but he's under the guise of a priest and a mentor to these girls who are using their womanly wiles to do all manner of interesting and sexy things. Well, I see sexy things, but to be honest, everything's kind of creepy in this movie. Um, There is a death, although you do not see it happen, and thankfully I'm glad that we don't, uh, which involves a a shovel being rammed up a woman's vagina, um, which is as eye-wincingly unpleasant as you can imagine. Um... We find out ultimately that it's the dad that's been the killer all along and the reason behind this is Solange has started the school, she befriended these girls who got her involved with the sex club, Uh, she had sex, she got pregnant and of course she couldn't tell anyone about it because she was supposed to be a virgin Um, and the girls in the club persuaded her to go and get an abortion which was done on the cheap by someone up kind of one of these kind of back alley sort of abortions which you know didn't go necessarily successfully I mean she's no longer pregnant but emotionally scars her uh, to the point that she uh, becomes mute um, and takes on the the kind of attributes or personality of her unborn baby uh, and unable to get pregnant again so it kind of destroys her life and the father inconsolable with this uh, goes out for revenge it's one of the more unusual ones in here in that there is actually a legitimate good real world motive here if you could grasp on one compared to some of the other movies we've seen thus far where it's like at some point the character became two character you know that that sort of thing and this one there's a like a, a good old-fashioned vengeance this is a, a a dad whose daughter should have been protected in a school environment and you know, started leading a double life, which has led to this kind of trauma that he's having to look after her. Um, and he's decided to take out everyone involved with it in, in pretty vicious fashion. Um, you know, it's, I mean, a couple of things we need to touch on with this one. Massimo Del Mano ain't no fucking joke here. The cinematography is absolutely impeccable in this movie. It's stunning to look at. Arrow Video put out the, the Blu-ray of it a couple of years ago, and it looks absolutely jaw-droppingly incredible. You've got Ennio Morricone, whose name popped up all over the place in this season, but he delivers what I consider to be one of his more tragic and poignant scores on a giallo. I really think this is quite a beautiful, haunting score that sits along with it. 
performances really good across the board here I, I love the acting I love the story as well because this one is leaning into territory we don't usually get especially by 72 I mean we have seen some other movies that have kind of flirted with the, with some ideas of sexuality uh, where whether it's like a, a lizard on a woman's skin or even to an extent a movie which uh, we didn't cover but we I would highly recommend you check out something like All the Colours of the Dark which certainly moves into those kind of weird kind of culty sexy practices so there's there's a ton of that stuff happening in the background and well worth your time for checking out for sure but in this movie it all kind of surprisingly comes together very well it has a maturity about it that I really enjoy some jallos can be a bit puerile at times especially if you're looking at a movie like stripping in for your killer or eyeball this one holds itself to a slightly better standard and as a result the storytelling feels a bit more mature feels a bit more adult than some of the other movies as well and you know for, for the first time we're actually kind of following down a proper mystery that's unfolding in a way which feels kind of satisfying and that at the end it all kind of makes sense which once again is not something that a lot of Jally are necessarily great at doing so you have all those components coming together which I think makes for a surprisingly strong entry there aren't many Jallos that really kind of do what what have you done to Solange does in terms of uh, a more mature female centric um, sort of plotline um, yes, they're still kind of the, the male, you know, male killing women who are running around screaming and all the rest. That's that's an element that's still in here for sure. But the vengeance aspect I found very interesting and something you don't see many of these movies doing uh, before. There isn't a high degree of a body count or even blood in this movie. It's surprisingly tame on those aspects, but the the implied violence. Um, and at times a subjective nature as to what might be going on in the mystery I think is its strength, I think it's one of the keys this one comes late on the list because it doesn't necessarily follow a lot of those tropes we've already set out it's certainly comfortably and I would say uh, undisputably a giallo movie but it's doing things very early on in the kind of life cycle of the Jallo, which make it stand out, make it different. Uh, by 72, there's a, this movie's surrounded by a ton of Bird of the Crystal Plumage clones, and this one strives to be something a little bit different. I think it stands it in, in really good stead. It's now kind of looked back upon as one of the, the, the more fine and I use that word in terms of quality content and delivery, JAL movies of the, the era, and I, I kind of stand by it. It's one of those movies that I think really holds up to scrutiny in a way where a lot of these movies don't. So, yeah, I think it's an incredible Jallo. I think it's one that's worthy of your time. I think, well, you if you're taking part in this series, I, will, I look forward to hearing your reviews of it uh, moving forward. Now, let's talk about those reviews. Next month is the last episode of the season, but not the last episode that you can get involved with Where to Begin with Jallo. The reason I say that is we are kind of short order here and for you to get your reviews in. So your deadline isn't that far away. It's about two weeks from now. I need your reviews of What Have You Done to Solange by the 14th of December. That is a Monday. That episode will go out on Friday the 18th. So, episode reviews in for the 14th, episode goes out on the 18th. 
your reviews as usual let me know what you made of this movie you can send it to all the usual places it can be podcastunderthestairs at gmail.com or teapotscollective at gmail.com or private message me on Facebook to let me know what you made of the movie so must be in for the 14th of December so two weeks uh, it is widely available in the UK um, and I believe you can see copies of this uh, rather comfortably on things like YouTube and stuff not the best quality so taking that cinematography um, now the reason I said that it's not necessarily the last week you can get involved with this series is obviously next episode um, I will be I will be doing the final movie in the collection and you guys won't have time to send a review in so basically the first episode of the new season of Where to Begin With will start with recapping your reviews of the next movie now what is that next movie I hear you cry well let me tell you it's a movie that is directed by the guy who kind of starts it all Mario Bava. It's a movie that goes out its way in the opening scenes to basically make a statement of intent that I'm killing off the genre in its early days. 71 was when he released this movie. And then it starts to become a very playful and wonderfully sadistic kind of giallo proto-slasher hybrid. It's highly influential. Scenes from it would be used in slasher movies like Friday the 13th. Um, and other movies from the early 80s is of course Mario Bava's Twitch of the Death Nerve aka Bay of Blood so that is the movie that will be your final one so this is your transition point I've taken you through a clear through line of giallo movies and we're finishing with the giallo that's not quite a giallo doesn't play the same kind of rules as a giallo it's much more about having fun of games and murder mystery and also like I say boldly at the beginning kills off the the idea and concept of a giallo and a very provocative and very blunt message that I adore. So yeah, 14th of December, I need your reviews of what have you done to Solange and then you can already start getting your head down and start planning out Bear Blood, aka Twitch of the Death Nerve. Okay, let's get into it. We have some reviews in. It's our terrible twosome, as always. David Garrett Jr. and Kate Pollock sending in the reviews. We will start with Kate. Kate says... Hi, Duncan and T-Putz listeners. It's Kate Pollock here. Um, my review of Deep Red. Um, I apologise in advance if um, I sound a little bit off or anything. I'm not too well this week and my head's a bit fuzzy. Uh, so, yeah, apologies in advance for that. Uh, on that note, let's let's get straight into it. Um, so I first watched Deep Red a couple of years ago, I think. Um, it was my one of my first Jello watches, I think maybe apart from Tenebrae. Um, I think it's a good one to start off with because it ticks a lot of the Jello boxes. It's quite sort of set in that. Um, but it also scared the shit out of me. <laughs> I have like a real thing with like creepy faces and dolls and stuff, which this movie has in abundance. So yeah, um, really sinister and very much affects me on second watch um yeah still scared shitless um to be honest it's the only jello so far that i've seen i think that has actually had that much of an effect on me in that way um not to take away from the others but they have been sort of 
more rooted in their crime thriller backgrounds or um, you know even at times been more akin to like a, a drama um, so this was the first one or like really the only one I think that I've seen has really felt like a proper horror movie um, I think a lot of that is down to the creepy energy you know all of the dolls and things you've got the weird mechanical doll at one point which I don't really know what that's about but it's scary as fuck so that's fine um, and you know honestly like if that wasn't an inspiration for the doll and saw with the tricycle thing come for it if it has an actual name um but yeah i don't know what is if if that wasn't an inspiration so yeah um the portraits in house apartment are so sinister and creepy um you've got a lot of eye imagery all of those kind of things the drawings with the murder and stuff um so yeah they've got all of that all the way through the movie um you've also got a lot of really wonderful cinematography you've got these gorgeous set pieces all gothic and dramatic and um especially with the with the house um i think it's dubbed the ghost house um and it kind of just to me sort of spoke of like fairy tales and things and folklore which i really liked and i think um you know it's quite cool because marcus when he's researching the killer and stuff he kind of comes across the sort of folklore of the house and things um so yeah i think there's a really great use of shadow and lighting as well um particularly in this opening credit sequence that we have um so it's sort of the scene that's kind of put in the middle of the open credits and um we see this murder through these silhouettes these sort of shadows on the wall so we can't really tell what's happening but besides someone being murdered and we can hear the screaming and things um and not only does that create a really great sense of mystery but also um it misleads the audience and hides the killer's true identity which i think is really clever um so uh yeah and also oh yeah the other thing as well these couple so i really like edward hopper's paintings as an artist um and he uh, does these really lovely little kind of like glimpses into everyday life and a couple of his works were homaged in this movie and I don't really know why I don't know if it needs a reason but I really liked it um the kills they are so good um this is a jello that is not just satisfied with stabbings um we have these really visceral very kind of mean-spirited deaths you know someone's head gets scalded um someone gets their mouth slammed into a table corner their teeth will shatter and things you've got heads being kind of decapitated with this necklace getting caught in, the, in a lift shaft going up or down can't quite remember um obviously we've got argento's favorites woman being thrown through a window with like getting impaled on the glass shards and stuff these are really really great kills and they're done to really good effect and i love all like the thick red blood that we that we have with these films they're so good um i also really enjoyed the acting um you know, performances across the board are great um and there's some really heartfelt moments in here too um you know they've got this character of carlo who is this um really layered guy he's um you know we sort of meet him and he's drinking a lot and he seems to be kind of filled with melancholy and um you know he's got this kind of inner turmoil which in one scene we're sort of led to believe that he's struggling with his sexuality because he's gay um but i i you know that's not the case it's actually that he's struggling with what his mother's done who turns out to be the killer and um, you know and all the sort of traumas from his past you know how they're affecting him now and things um but i think you know if you either take is very believable and um you know 
this scene in particular is, is done with a lot of sensitivity. In this scene, you have Carlo's lover, who is gender fluid, um, or seems to be gender fluid anyway. Um, and, you know, often in Jallo and things, you have um, sort of queer or gay characters being depicted in lots of very kind of campy stereotypes, or even at times being kind of perverted. Um, it wasn't like that at all here. It was very sensitive and um, very kind of human and with empathy, I feel. Um, you know, you really kind of felt for the character of Carlo and, you know, for whatever reason, you really believed the, you know, the struggle that he's going through. Um, so I thought that that was really refreshing, um, especially, you know, as I say, it's not necessarily always the case with Angelo or even in some Margento movies. Um, so moving on, um, we can't talk about this movie with out talking about the score um this was a goblin score um it's very goblin-esque um, it's got it's really great energy it's gripping it's suspenseful and it just elevates so many scenes like for example when marcus is at the house he's kind of searching for this uh well he's just searching for something um you know trying to find um you know what the secrets that this house holds and you know he has this real kind of determination this real focus and the score is a really great kind of um sort of co correlation of that um you know he he's, he's you know he's, he's alone in this house he knows that the killer is after him um it's long after dark you know anyone else would have gone but you know he has this real kind of high energy which um is very much conveyed to these sort of short sharp notes in this very kind of quick tempo um you know it's just very perfect partnership that Argento and Goblin seem to have you know um, there are other times where there's this sort of swirling and whispering to create this lovely suspense and it kind of reminded me of the Suspiria score at times of course that's a, a future production but um, yeah as I say very Goblin-esque um, and just a real quick mention of this kind of like childish singing that crops up usually um, during or before these very violent scenes um and it's just a wonderful juxtaposition between the violence that's happening on screen and you know childish innocence um so yeah and I'm, I'm going to touch on that a little bit later on um i also really like the ending so obviously it's a bit of a twist ending i love a twist ending like this um when i first watched it i knew I, well, I didn't know that Carlo was the wasn't the killer, but I knew that there was something more to it than that. Just simply because I knew that Marcus, um, you know, had seen something before that we had still yet to see how that played out. Um, now I had also sort of guessed that that wasn't um, a picture that he'd seen; that it was a reflection, but. It's such a blink and you miss it moment um, that I didn't really see anything clearly to know exactly who or what it was. Um, if I'd been on my own, I'd have probably rewound it back and had a look. Um, really glad that I didn't because I'd have completely ruined that for myself. Um, but as it happens, I was with a couple of friends and it just didn't occur to us. Um, so yeah, so when that reveal happens and the camera pans around and we see, you know, who it is and stuff, it was really quite like, oh my gosh, kind of moment. Um, also as well, it's a very tense moment because I was already really tense with all the portraits and stuff. Um, and then I knew that you were going to see something and that whole build up was excellent. So yeah, really loved that ending. Um, the second time around, um, I I knew what to watch out for. So in the beginning, when he's walking through the corridor, um, sort of I kept a lookout to see, and 
oh my gosh, it's clear as bloody day. Like, I don't understand how I missed that the first time. And presumably it's not just me having a moment because I can't imagine that this film would be as revered as it is if everyone kind of knew who it was at the beginning. Um, So absolutely fair play to Argento pulling that off and the absolute balls on that guy to do that like literally showing the face of the killer um it's crazy um and she's got a really distinctive like sort of look about her as well she doesn't look like anybody else in the movie so yeah that is really impressive um so yeah so there's a couple of themes that I've mentioned on but I just want to kind of go on to in a bit more here so um we've got you know as I said before we've got this kind of juxtaposition of um you know childhood uh sort of not childishness but you know what i mean so you know compared with like violence and the relationships between parents and their children and this is something that comes up repeatedly you know it's it's in big ways and small ways big ways like the opening scene that i mentioned because after we see this um, this murder this bloody knife is sort of thrown to the floor and then we see this pair of children's like young children's feet approach the knife and we don't really know who they are or how that relates to the murder or what um but it's very kind of shocking to see this very violent um image occur on screen and then you know being followed up by these children's feet um you know we have um little kind of throwaway lines by marcus about how he hates his father and things and you know all of this kind of stuff um as well as you know um the relationship between carlo and his mother and how that relationship plays out and you know all those kinds of things so there's a clear message of parental responsibility here and how the seeds planted by our parents deeply take root in us um i also think it's a it's a way of potentially supporting Carlo as the killer, um, which obviously isn't the case. So um, it's a really good red herring as well as being just quite an interesting theme. Um, it's a theme that does come up a lot in horror, I think. Um, but I don't know whether it would have done so much at the time this was released. And in any event, I haven't ever seen it done quite to this level in quite this way. So I don't think it detracts at all from the film. Um, I also really enjoyed the commentary on gender here. As I said, I've, I've mentioned a little bit um you know with sexuality and things before and gender fluidity within that um but i think that there is a lot to be said of this film with regards to this theme we've got the main character marcus he's quite a complex guy um he's at first sort of shown to us to be this kind of bohemian musician type guy but actually he turns out to be more chauvinistic more traditional and conservative in his values and beliefs and he has no problem spouting this out even to the person like to the woman who he's romantically involved with um Um, you know um, usually I would say you know people kind of have this impression that Jallo is um, kind of sexist and pretty hard on women and all this kind of thing but I would say in this film that um, it actually is a demonstration of the strength and tenacity of women Um, and you know for example you've got Marcus who is you know the the male the male character male main character you know he's our our protagonist um but he ends up in a lot of trouble and has to be saved by gianna who's our female lead um more than one occasion she challenges him she calls him out his bullshit um you know she will have very kind of challenging conversations and he can get quite defensive he's clearly you know quite insecure in the face of strong women um she arm wrestles him and wins um this is even this one scene where so she's got this car and it's really run down and he gets into the passenger seat and the seat sort of drops um it's obviously not done on purpose by gianna or anything but it's 
is as well as being very comedic um it's also quite an interesting display of how she has the upper hand in their power play dynamic even without trying at times you know she's very assertive um her character is very outspoken and tenacious um you know her role as a journalist conveys this perfectly um and you have this real kind of like sense of women challenging the patriarchy throughout the film um for example you've got um, this character of Olga and her father who's the landlord to um, you know this the house that I mentioned before and Olga's this kind of weird child she likes to sort of torture small animals and she constantly irks her father and um, one bit where he hits her on the face and she licks her lips as though she's getting off on it it's just yeah it's weird um, but we only see her interact with her father or Marcus and as she has no problem with challenging her father when she takes him to the house uh, we don't really know whether she's to be trusted um, and this unease towards her is probably a reflection of how she just makes the men in her life feel as so she defies their more conservative values but what's even more unnerving is how she's so young she's probably only about 10 or 11 um, but she can very much I think intimidate um you know um i also think as well the fact that we've got the female killer um is is interesting and so i have since since the first time i watched the side watched bird of the crystal plumage for the first time as part of the series um and i kept getting reminded of that i really want to go back actually and, and re-watch it um after seeing this one um because there seems to be like a lot of comparisons you know we've got um the killer being a female but for the most part we're led to believe that it's a man um you know we've got this drawing that uh, we have the uh, main protagonist sort of on a mission to try and find um and the the drawing itself is very similar you, you know it's featuring a murder and you know it also relates to the killer's awakening um you know and there's this whole as i say this whole kind of flip of of, of gender roles you know going on there so yeah i, I really kind of want to go back and rewatch that um just to sort of see if there's anything else um I also as well with regards to gender equality I just think it's interesting that the killer is born because the husband um affect her husband effectively effectively kills her acting career by wanting to put her into a mental asylum I mean probably not without reason but this could be a representation of how women um up until around this era had been pretty severely oppressed by the husband for the most part um and on a larger scale the patriarchy um you know at this point we have the feminist movement coming into play where a lot of women, young women um, around this time was taking a stance um, and standing up for female rights. Um, you know, and the fact you've got Martha, who's the killer, she's of an older generation, um, being oppressed. And then you compare her to the likes of Gianna, who is this young and independent, um, carefree woman, um, you know, is very in touch with her sexuality and, um, you know, and she's very, yeah, safe, free and independent. Um, so I think that's a really interesting contrast there. Um, so yeah and I just think that overall gender in this film is is kind of flipped on its head you get a lot of roles where you know you have characters that um aren't necessarily stereotypical of their gender you know um so I think that it's an acknowledgement of how um gender is changing within society and how these boxes and columns have been placed um people have sorry have been placed in um have even at this time in the, you know in the 70s you've got them becoming more diverse and more loose and evolving to new ideas um you know and i think that these themes are, are pretty progressive for its time and especially of its genre um you know although obviously argento has touched on this before with the likes of bird with a crystal plumage but um 
but yeah, I think it's it's very interesting. Um, so I believe this movie was dubbed the Giallo to end all Jally, I think. Um, and I can see why, you know, as I said before, it, it, it flips a lot on its head. We've got pretty much every Jello trope going on here. Um, although I did note that there wasn't any sexual nudity, um, which was kind of surprising, but didn't detract from it at all. Um, but yeah, it's, you've got a lot of these boxes ticked but in some way or other they're flipped on its head like you know talk about gender we've got the kills where yeah you have like stabbing and stuff but then you have also a lot more interesting and imaginative kills um you know and you've got um you know everything's very chilling it's all kind of stepped up a notch um even the runtime i don't think jellos usually go on this long it's just like over two hours um but it's very well paced so that's fine um you know so i think it yeah as i say it's like it's like jello but tenfold you know and honestly i fucking love it even more on a second watch and with more of an analytical eye i get the feeling that it's one of those that the more i watch the more i'll get from it and i've got the arrow blu-ray i haven't watched the uh, special features on it yet but i'm really excited to do so because i think there's going to be a lot there to you know dissect um but yeah five out of five for me absolutely no fucking doubt thank you so much duncan for choosing this it was really great to go back to and i hope everyone else had fun with it as well and can't wait to hear all your reviews thanks very much and thanks very much to Kate. Let's continue on. David Garrett Jr. is up next. Hello, Duncan and T Puts Collective listeners. David Garrett Jr. here back again. This time around for Where to Begin with Giallo. And for this month, it is one, like I said on the previous review, is that I have seen this once. And the film is Deep Red from the great Dario Argento, who co-wrote as well as directed this now just a little bit of backstory with me here is that i caught this when the gateway film center the theater that i'm a member at actually would do they show a lot of older movies and they actually did a dario argento appreciation month where this is one of the films that they had shown and that was actually the first time that i saw it now i didn't realize until i was listening to you duncan that I did know that there was three different cuts, but I wasn't necessarily sure what the differences between them were. And I believe the DVD that I have of this, as well as the cut that I saw at the theater, was the international cut. Because it runs in at about two hours long, and I also kind of think it's interesting is that what I saw in the theater and on my DVD both have some sections where it's in Italian with no subtitles. So I'm not really sure what they say in those stretches, but surprisingly, it doesn't actually bother me for my viewing of the film. Now, I did know before I actually saw the the original time about the reveal early in the movie in the mirror. I didn't actually catch it the first time that I saw it, but this time around I did. And I will say, I love that from the beginning of the movie, if you catch that, you know exactly who the killer is. Because that's kind of a cool thing to do for those that are very observant and... Much like with a lot of these films, the second viewing for me is really where I kind of... My enjoyment either goes up or down for it, and for this one, there's... Since I knew who the killer was this time around, it's actually kind of fun to see the little things that are being said or little things where you can kind of piece everything together and, you know, come up to the conclusions that you get at the end. Something I actually kind of really like about this time around and even the, is that it does keep you guessing until that final reveal of who that killer is, even though, like I said, we get that image in the very beginning... When I can predict the killer, though, halfway through is where it really kind of bothers me, so I have to give credit there. And I do like the way that Argento presents the story here. Now, we have this interesting cold open where it's kind of cool that it's taking place near Christmas, and we hear this, you know, song, the children singing, and then we hear screaming, and then I love how that song comes back into play later. Now, the really crux of what everything starts here is the psychic of Helga when she gets images during her demonstration, 
Marcus, like in many of these, isn't a police officer, even though he is our main character, and he is portrayed by David Hemmings. Because we do have the bumbling cop of, I think it's uh, Cal Cabrini, who is Eros Pagni. Now, I like that he doesn't necessarily need to investigate things, but he gets sucked into it, and a lot of that is also because we have Gianna Brazzi, who is Daria Nicolodi. And like I said, we have the bumbling cops. That's a trope that you see in a lot of these type of movies. And I like that Argento is playing with that. I like that, you know, Marcus takes these logical steps, though, to solve the case. And then we also get something else that Argento loves to play with as well, where he can't fully remember what he saw. as He thought it was just another painting, but doesn't realize that it's actually the mirror. And then that is really the key to the truth. And it takes him, you know, the full investigation to kind of connect everything. I really like the deaths. Now, we necessarily don't get everybody getting stabbed, which is also, you know, that's another trope for the subgenre, but I do like that we get a little bit of that, and we get some other things that are kind of, you know, creative there as well. And then some of these deaths actually help to create more clues for the heroes to solve the case, but, like, we get, like, what you were talking about in your review, Duncan, about the lady who wrote about the urban legend in that house and how... When she's murdered, that, you know, she writes in the tiles and everything. I thought that was pretty cool. And then you have the other psychic who had knew Helga goes there and sees it. And that's the one who kind of pieces things together there. All the deaths seem to be done practically, which I do love. I mean, the blood might be a little bit orange, but as I've said many a times on here, is that I do have a soft spot for that. And I mean, the death for the killer is amazing and quite brutal with the elevator and the necklace thing. That was great. And something I realized this time around is that the cinematography is amazing. Having remembered how things play out, it allowed me to kind of focus on some other aspects. And that was one of the things where there's a few times where I was just in awe of what Argento was doing. And you were talking about the cinematographer that he got. They did seem like there was, you know, some cohesive unit there as they worked together to, you know, bring everything to life here. Another big positive, I'm a huge fan of Goblin. So their soundtrack they have here is just absolutely amazing. The songs stand out, and it's kind of fun that I will listen to a lot of the songs on the soundtrack while I'm writing, and actually seeing them play out in the film is kind of even more interesting as well. One thing I also want to kind of go into a little bit was the acting here. I thought the two leads were great, and they played off each other well. Hemmings is this musician, and he... He's quite sexist, though. He really does have issues with his masculinity, and we get to kind of really see that in the, you know, car scene with Gianna. And I think he plays this character fine, and I think how he goes about his investigation works. It just does bother me with, you know, how much of a misogynist that he is. But I was really impressed by is Nicolodi's character. She's quite empowered and doesn't take anything from Marcus, and she's also forward with him. I do love that this is something that Argento does play with, and he is a little bit known for it, which I think is kind of interesting is that there's quite a few people that find Argento to be misogynistic just for the deaths that some women go through. I mean, I don't know how you'd watch this and not see Gianna where, you know, she arm wrestles against marcus a couple times and actually beats him and it just really gets under his skin and he can't handle it and i just love how you know she messes with him and knows that she can get under his skin i thought the rest of the cast rounded this out for what was needed and you also said something interesting also on the episode about this movie is that this one with suspiria kind of go back and forth with a lot of people about which one and after the second viewing of deep red this was as my second i do have trouble now that I think this is a better made movie than Suspiria. I know the colors, schemes, and everything there, but I think we also get some great cinematography with this movie. And all of the tropes that you get with Giallo, and then mixing it, you know, with more of the horror elements that you don't necessarily get with some of them, I think is just great. Like, 
the movie, you know, being two hours long and me not even being able to understand some conversations, I'm just engrossed in what is happening and just I was at the edge of my seat, even though I know how things play out. Because if you can get me on a second viewing where I'm just entranced in everything that you're doing, that is just absolutely amazing. Which is kind of weird is that my original thoughts on this is that some of the that there was a little bit too long and there's some things that could be cut out. Having watched this a second time, yeah, I think there is some that probably still could be, but it doesn't bog it down like I did. You know, I thought the last time around, and the deaths are just different and interesting. The gore was good, and the effects are along with that. I always have a soft spot for, you know, the color of the blood, which I think some people might have a gripe with. The score is great and just fits everything well. I think this is probably, as of right now, my favorite Giallo film. I know I think recently I had some that were kind of coming close and whatnot like that, but this is just an amazing film to me overall, and... I've definitely come up from my score the last time that I have rated this as, you know, on the T-Put scale as now a 5 out of 5. And I'm just so glad that you picked this movie out, Duncan, just so I could give it another viewing and, you know, really kind of realize that all the problems that I might have had with this movie aren't really issues now and just how great this truly is. Now, you almost make me want to go back now and rewatch Tenebrae because I know you always speak so highly of it, and I think that is for sure in my top five, but I'm also wondering with a second viewing where that one would fall for me. So once again, Duncan, thank you so much for you know doing everything that you do and you know selecting this movie on this. I can't wait to hear the thoughts that you have for the next film as well as any of the other listeners who send in anything there. And then I'm also kind of excited because the next film that you have selected, I have never seen either. So that is one that I'm starting to look for a copy of so I can, you know, jump on watching that one as well. Pretty excited there, especially for ones that I haven't seen. This is David Garrett Jr. signing off. And thank you very much to David Garrett Jr. for submitting in that review. Thanks to both Kate and David for sending in them. I always love hearing your takes on them. And let's be honest, it was a no-brainer that everyone was going to be digging deep red this particular episode I'm really interested to see where you come down with what have you done to Solange it is one of those movies which like I said before to me it feels like a bit of a no brainer but you know it could be could go either way this could be one that is held uh, so high and in reverence by you know fans that have grown up with the genre and might not resonate with those that are you know just getting into the scene so to speak, which you guys have been doing for this year. So I will wait with bated breath to hear your reviews. Now remember, what have you done to Solange? Those reviews must be in to me no later than the 14th of December. That is a Monday. The episode will go out on the 18th of December. On that episode, you will also get a review from myself of Bay of Blood, which is the season finale You'll then have a couple of weeks to get your reviews in for that and those reviews will appear on the first episode of Season 2 of Where to Begin With as we start a brand new project for 2021. However, until then, please take care, enjoy yourself and enjoy the movies. It's a stressful time of year at the best of times. So sometimes shoving around a little jello clears the air, gets you in that mood. Is there any, any genre at all? that gets you quite in the mood for spending time whining and dining and partying with family members than Jello. I'm going to say no. I'm also going to say yes. And I'm also going to say no. Because I can do that. I can be duplicitous. And that's my God-given right as a podcast host. 
So there you go. So until I speak to you the next time, please take care of yourself. Until the next episode, remember, in a Jello movie, anyone can be a killer. Even you.